Welcome to... Okay. Great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On tonight's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point for all of you tennis fans. Our weekly roundup of everything that happens across the Division One college tennis world. Of course, here on Tuesday nights on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, we break down all of the Division One women's college tennis action, and we have finally reach the point of conference play where we start to see some separation as teams begin to separate themselves in those many races for regular season conference titles. Of course, intertwined with those conference races, of course, is the race for the NCAA tournament. And again, we have continued separation. Who are the top eight seeds going to be that get to host the first three rounds? Who will the top 16 seeds be hosting? The first two rounds we had action over the past week that certainly will dictate what those seeds look like when they come out about a month from now. All of that said, of course, we've reached the point of the season where every episode of this show will be a jam-packed episode. And that is why I'm so thankful. I have the same man joining me each and every week to help break it all down. Of course, you know him best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Cracked Racket shows, the founder of the no ad, no problem blog and podcast and a man beautifully sporting our latest crack brackets gear. It's our dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing tonight, my friend? I'm feeling warm and cozy in my Cracked Rackets hoodie. Uh, I feel like a little turtle. I'm not used to wearing uh, hoodies, but uh, it's very cozy. It's nice and warm. I figured I'd rock it for the show. Feels like it will serve me well for those late nights in Orlando. Uh, But yeah, I'm doing well. So you're not a hoodie guy? I'm like a a sweatshirt crew neck guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah that checks out. I feel like you like yeah. a good quarter zip as well. Like I feel like a, a mm. good quarter zip on John J. Parsons. I feel like that does the trick. Yeah. I, I feel like that's very tech bro, San Francisco <laughs> Bay area. So uh, I don't know if I'll go that far, but yeah, sure. I like the, the pullovers. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I don't like to mess up my hair with the hoodie. So I, you know, I'm gonna get a little sensitive there. No, amen, brother. That's why I go hat always. And again, I appreciate you repping our CR gear. I appreciate all you do to help make this show what it is throughout the course of the college tennis season. And again, we don't have that many editions of this show left, maybe four, five, until we reach the start of the NCAA tournament. And then, of course, we'll have to change the format accordingly to break down all of the action, as Jay just alluded to. It sounds like he will certainly be in Orlando. I am planning to go as well. It's going to be a very fun ending to this 2023 season. But of course, before we celebrate that, We still have to figure some things out here in this regular season. And again, what we plan on doing on today's show for all of you college tennis fans is breaking down all of the biggest storylines. Yes, we have separation now at the top of both the SEC and ACC in arguably the two deepest conferences in women's college tennis this season. But Look, there are some things happening out West we need to be aware of. Washington remaining undefeated in conference play. I want to talk about them today because
because they're probably the one team in the top 16 hunt that we really have not spent much time talking about. You have Stanford continuing to do their thing. The most interesting team of the 2023 season is located in Berkeley, California. Cal, another fascinating weekend of action. You had some big 12 results to keep your eye on. Michigan tested in their Illinois swing. We're going to break it all down for you today. We're going to remain efficient as always. And again, make sure all of you college tennis fans feel like you are up to date on everything happening in the Division One women's college tennis world. Of course, the reason we're able to do that week in, week out here on this show is because of the support we get from all of you. And I will just say personally, it was great to see so many Cracked Rackets fans, John J. Parsons included, rallying around Fiona Crawley as she made her pro debut in Charleston this week. It's really cool to see this college tennis community that has come together, that has formed. And again, we appreciate you guys tolerating all of our nonsense throughout the course of the year. Players, coaches, College Tennis Nation, thank you for continuing to tune in. We've got broadcasts for you Friday, Saturday, Sunday, ACC, SEC, Big Ten, Baylor, Harvard, I'm knocking on wood. Jay, I need you to knock on wood as well. I'm very superstitious. I see the shoulder move, so that was an official knock. We're really hoping to have UNC NC State on Thursday as a solo match for everyone. So pray Ooh. to the tennis gods. I have thoughts on God. that one. Yeah, God, would we love to have it? It's coming up this week. We're hoping to have it on ESPN, ACC Network Plus. The only reason that's a consideration is because so many of you in the college tennis universe have rallied around us. So again, we appreciate that. It's why we're so excited to do this show each and every week. Of course, shout out to our dear friends at LS as well. They've been supporting us since the start. And I mean, again, look at me. I'm decked out right now in my LS gear. I've got the polo rocking and rolling today. You've seen the LS hoodie as well. They have an immense catalog of items that you can enjoy. To learn more, click on the link in the description to this podcast. A massive thank you to our friends at LS for their support of this show. And we are so excited here at Cracked Rackets as well to be welcome back a new and returning friend to this episodes of the deciding point of course our og listeners of this podcast will know before we had anyone else at the gsp we had turna and that is why we are so happy to welcome turna back onto the deciding point as the presenting sponsor for the remainder of this season look turna grip it's synonymous with grips. Everyone recognizes it. You see that purple bluish hue. And, you know, again, is the dress gold? Is it blue? The answer is, is the turn of blue? Is it purple? That's the real question for tennis fans. And there's a reason they've become synonymous with grips, period. It's because it's the best in the business. And now they're introducing a new model. It's called Turn of Tough. And simply put, it's a longer lasting version of Turn of Grip, a more durable version of Turn of Grip as well. Same gold standards sweat absorption as Turner Grip, same dry level, still gets tackier when you sweat, still trademarked. Okay, Turner says it's blue. I still leave that up to the fans. Is it blue? Is it purple? That's a debate we can have moving forward. Jay, blue or purple? It's blue. Okay. Blue is the official ruling. That that was a dismissive tone. So it is blue moving forward, but we are anything but blue here at Crack Rackets. Welcoming back our friends at Turner. And again, you can find Turner everywhere. We are so excited to have them back on our uh, as a part of our team here at Crack Rackets. I thank you to Turner for their support. We are proud to have them as presenting sponsor here of the deciding point. But enough with all of that. Let's get into what was a jam packed week in the division one women's college tennis world. And, you know, nowadays I have perhaps 
justifiably as the host of this show as editor-in-chief at Crack Rackets. I now write the outlines for each and every ones of these, uh, one of these shows. The reason I bring that up is because it's really hard to figure out where to lead each and every week. There are a lot of different results we could turn to, and yet I think the team that we have been, I'll speak for myself, I don't want to speak for you, that I have been most captivated by since the National Indoors. Because, of course, what we learned at the National Indoors is, and North Carolina is the class of the field, everyone else is chasing them. Well, who was closest in that chase at the National Indoors? Yes, Georgia reached the final. But I think the consensus of the college tennis intelligentsia coming out of that National Indoors was that Texas A&M was the number two team. And they've been the number two team in the rankings since the national indoors. They haven't lost a match since the national indoors. But of course, they did lose an All-American in Carson Brandstein. And while they had managed to respond and managed to stay undefeated in her absence, they had the massive test this week. They had Georgia. They had Tennessee. Now, they did have the benefit of having both of those matches at home. But again, this is a team with the depth with the experience, with the freshman talent clicking that the way it is, that still has a lot of intriguing pieces that you do feel like on the right day, why couldn't they knock out North Carolina? Well, this weekend's results, you double down on those feelings. As AM at home knocks out number five, Georgia, 5-2. They get a win over now number 15, Tennessee, 6-1. Jay, what impressed you most about the Aggies this weekend? Who stood out to you? Mm. I think the biggest thing that comes to mind is the fight. I felt like this was a team that is fighting really hard. And even in the matches, you know, against Tennessee, it was a 6-1 victory. But there were a lot of close matches. You look at, you know, freshman Darius Metnikoff winning 7-6 in the third at number five singles against Tennessee. Mia Kupris winning 6-4 in the third. Those were not matches that were going to decide the team outcome, yet they still were we're fighting to win those matches. And you saw that as well against Georgia. I think going into that match, one of, you know, the, the Georgia women were 22 and one at the top three positions, right? And Texas A&M swept. But one of those positions in particular, Salma Ewing versus Dasha Vidmanova of Georgia, you felt was leaning pretty heavily Vidmanova's way. Uh, coming into that this weekend, Salma Ewing was two and five at the number two spot, had struggled in her transition. After that match clinches, Mia Kupris, the freshman, clinches. Salma Ewing, toe-to-toe with Dasha Vidmanova, ends up winning that 7-6 in the third. So overall, I felt like regardless of whether the match was completed, not completed, this Texas A&M team was finishing every last match. It didn't matter if they had already won the match. Every single player wanted to win, wanted to contribute to the overall team score. I came away being very impressed by the fight. Yeah, and, you know, I think... Two things I would add off of that. A, you know, looking for this team, yes, they're going to feel the Brandstein loss in singles, but the depth they have, the ability to bring Morales off the bench and, you know, Morales now 10 and two overall on the year. I know she took a tough loss this weekend to Gigi Grant, uh, to Gigi Jeremina Grant, but like they're they're still going to be fine in singles. The question is they looked untouchable at the national indoors in doubles and you know, they they did switch their pairings around. They have Goldsmith and Ewing moving up to the top spot. They're seven and two there. Seems like the All-Americans are going to be just fine. Makes sense. Goldsmith's been number one in the country before in doubles. Selma Ewing's very good at doubles. It all makes sense. 
I, you know, again, what were they going to do though at two and three? And we've certainly seen at the number two spot. I like the pairing of Kupras and Stoyana. They're three and zero overall as a duo. You know, they get the win this weekend over Grant and Narendorn at the number two spot. They go unfinished against. Tennessee, but they didn't need it because it was a really good day for Pilate and Smetnikov at three. I think they're still good at doubles. And I think they proved that this weekend. Yes, at home, but you get wins over two rock solid doubles teams in Georgia. Georgia's not just rock solid. Georgia's good at doubles. No, um, I'm sorry. No, Georgia is bad at doubles. Okay, they've you won. disagree. They've won one doubles point in the SEC. It is a okay. massive Achilles heel for this Georgia so, team. They are yeah. bad at doubles. Yeah, so that's what I. Fair. They've struggled in doubles of late, but you like the pieces there. And then still, Tennessee's been good at doubles. Um, And AM beat them. And like, again, I want to see this match on a neutral court because it is worth noting yes, it was a 5 2 scoreline over Georgia. You had two 7 6 in the third matches. Who knows how that goes in a neutral situation, particularly in having a freshman in Mia Kupris uh, playing one of those matches. But, you know, that gets to it. You look for Kupris. Team leader in wins, 16 and one overall on the year. Stoyana's 15 and one, 12 and 0 at the number one spot. And then Goldsmith's doing her thing too, like 15 and three overall. They have the horses again that we saw them have last season. And you know my thoughts. Like, I get it. It's not one, two, or three singles. I feel really good about JC Goldsmith. Like, God, she gets off to quick starts. And if you're not prepared for her pace, she's just going to blitz you off the court. Watching Kowalski break down Smetnikov was fascinating. Like, I, that was not a result I saw coming, and that's a credit to Meg Kowalski, who brought it for Georgia. I don't think I feel any lower about UGA coming out of this match. I think the big takeaways, to your point, A&M is clearly tier one. Like, they're in that national championship inner circle. They are still who we thought they were, right? That's the takeaway. Yeah, I think that's the takeaway. I mean, this was a very close match. And thankfully, I mean, you get a match of two top five teams. You hope it would be this close. But yeah, I mean, you don't feel any worse about Georgia. Yes, AM, you know, swept one through four, which is a surprise coming into that match. But those matches were very close. And again, played on a neutral site, you know, they could very easily go the other way. I would say even, you know, Stoyana over Liam Ma. Liam Ma had a ton of chances mm-hmm. in that second set to to take that to a third and just couldn't get it done. And so in a neutral site, maybe that's different. So Georgia probably feels good coming away from this match. They swept, you know, five and six. They look strong there. Again, doubles is going to be the piece. This team cannot win a national championship by giving up the doubles point every single match. Yeah. And look, they were down against LSU. They dropped the doubles point again. And it's interesting to see Grant and Arundorn, who were really good to start the season. They're now at that number two spot. They've kind of stuck with Kowalski and Riasco, who have kind of been a little hit or miss at three. Like, it's interesting. Do you switch pair? I mean, where are you with Georgia right now? They're still sitting at five. Like, their losses on the year are twice to North Carolina, at Columbus, and at AM. There's no shame in any of those losses. I still think they're inner circle. Like, uh, you're right. They're a doubles point away. Yeah, I mean, and they're also an Anya Hurtle away, right? Yeah. Someone who played number five at indoors, hasn't been in the lineup, and, she, you know, getting her back healthy could help this team significantly. Look, doubles is the massive question mark. I mean, no Liam Ma on doubles, a massive 
question mark for me. They need to figure out doubles. They've kept Riasco and Kowalski together. They're like the only pair that has over a 500 record together. That is the number one thing they will be working on between here and NCAAs. It's so fascinating that Vidmanova goes from out of the doubles lineup to the number one doubles position. Yeah, I, that, I mean, that's an interesting move. The Brad Dancer rule. It's, yeah, you know, again, yeah, it, yeah. It, move it everyone else down and you just slot in Vidmanova, who surprisingly, despite her, her serve, you would think would be an incredible doubles player. And her weapons, a, just yeah. period. Well, that, I mean, that serve alone, put it where someone put, you know, put that put that ball away. It's it hasn't worked out for them. So they've got a lot of questions and doubles. Yeah. On the flip side for Tennessee. Yes, they lose the match six one. I thought they fought pretty well. Also, like, again, you did have three, three setters. Now, again, ultimately, only one of them really mattered because uh, Texas A&M does take the doubles. They get straight set wins from Stoyana from Goldsmith. But again, three through six. Tennessee's going to play at least two, three set matches. They're probably going to win at least one of them. And, you know, I know they were on the losing end of all of those on this day, but Mertena gets a really good win over Ewing at two as well. Here's the thing. If Tennessee takes the doubles point, they can find four points against anyone because they really do have the depth. They are a Mary Stoyana away from being in the national championship conversation, if that makes sense. Like just like one more blue chipper at the top of the line. Yeah, there's a lot of teams that are a Mary Stoyana way yeah. from being in the national championship <laughs> no, conversation. No, but I'm saying like if you put Mary Stoyana on Tennessee, isn't this team now pretty clearly top eight? Yeah, I mean, because they have three players that would probably all be, you know, win 85% of their matches at like three, right? Yeah, you know, in so. Mertena, Tomase, and Kutzer. And I mean, doing it. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. um, yeah, they don't have that, you know, all-star player at number one. But um, they, again, at, at, they feel good about potentially finding a point in any single line. Mm-hmm. Well, to that end, I want to look at some other SEC things because I think we know A&M, they're going to be not just top 16. They're probably pretty clinched now for top eight with this win over Georgia. They've beaten Tennessee already as well. Georgia, I feel pretty good about them being top eight as well. Uh, getting to the national indoor final. Obviously, they've beaten everyone but AM in the conference so far. There are four other teams I would put in top 16 SEC contention right now that are all interesting to me. You tell me, again, we have Tennessee who bounces back with a 4-3 win over LSU, which I think is a very good win. And it is worth noting, by the way, Leah Ma hands Komar her first loss of the season here this past weekend at that number one spot. So we did see that happen. Yeah. And then Mertena doubles it up. She also beat Komar this weekend. Well, you beat me to it. So Tennessee gets that 4-3 win again over LSU. Auburn, 5-2 over Randy, 5-2 over Kentucky. You had Florida, 5-2 over Arkansas. And then the last team I'm throwing to the mix because sneakily, they are 7-2 in conference play. They're now 12-6 and overall. They're not inside the top 20 of the ITA rankings, but they're pretty firmly ensconced inside that top 30. And with matches still at Auburn, at Tennessee and at Georgia on the schedule of these four teams, Jay Auburn, Tennessee, Florida, and then South Carolina, who I was alluding to also seven and two again in conference play. Do all four get to top 16? Do you do three of them get it? Where are you at with the sec? No, definitely not South Carolina. You right? don't I think mean, South Carolina can beat Auburn this weekend. 
that but that's not enough to get them top 16 they're 27 right now so we're we're april 4th it's a long way to go to top 16 okay south but carolina if they, if they run one. the table mm, right but what if they two and one what if they beat at tennessee and at auburn this weekend which i believe is their weekend or my guess at is tennessee at georgia my guess is that they would be 19 you think they'd still fall short yeah this is where we need chris but, on the spot but that's where they have the conference tournament, right? And they still have, you know, potentially more uh, more room. You know, I think Auburn is pretty much a shoe, and that win over Pepperdine will help them, you know, con- continually. Um, it's funny. I actually think Vanderbilt, despite their struggles, has a better shot at making the top 16 at this point than South Carolina in your hypothetical scenario where they start to run the table because of that win over NC state. And they have a ton of lost points. I mean, they're, they're almost going to be, you know, dinged by the 500 rule, but if they were to win out, if they were to win the sec tournament, for example, like Vandy's a top 16 seed because of that NC state win. Yeah. I just think South Carolina is freaking good. And it's not just Ackley at one who, by the way, Got an 0-0 victory over Arkansas that was just like a joke. And it's not just her. You know, Hamner loses in that Arkansas match. They still grounded out, uh, grinded out 5-4-3. Uh, you know, I just – I like the pieces. I really do. I, I think they're solid everywhere, and then they do have some horses at the top of the lineup to ride. So Ackley's been incredible. She's undefeated. Unde- undefeated at one. Exactly. Outside of that, though, almost every other player in their lineup this season is close to 500. Yeah, but they so, find it. That's what I'm saying. You're th- exactly. so right. But they find a way. Yes, but there are other teams who have a similar model in an Auburn, in a Tennessee. So we'll have to see how it stacks up because you have a lot of these teams that have very similar match calculus which is like well we're 500 on every single court so we'll see who wins on the day i don't think that's going to be enough for south carolina to to pull off the upset well, i think their the last stretch. four are on the road they're at auburn at tennessee at georgia and then i think at alabama as well can they get two wins in that group can they get three i mean they need three maybe even three and one of them has to be georgia to actually be top 16 but like I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I like Malkin on the right day. I like Mills on the right day. Like, it's an interesting team. It really is. Yeah. And well, and you expect Hamner's not going to be, I mean, she's like five and four at two right now, right? She's she's still coming back from injury. You expect that she's going to be better in a month than she is today. And so if she's better, at least in three weeks in that SEC tournament, I would have. I'd bet more on them pulling off a, a big upset in the SEC tournament than I would necessarily going three and one this these two final weekends. Yeah, it's interesting. How are you feeling about Auburn and where they're at? Again, you look at these other SEC teams. I feel pr- like Tennessee, Auburn, Florida, right now they're all like 12 through 16 in the rankings. You think they all get in? Well, I think Auburn is in the prime position to do it because of that win over Pepperdine, continuing to buoy them. And look, I feel good about this Auburn team. They're strong in doubles, right? You know, uh, Ansari and Arsenal are probably going to split at the top two positions. DJ Bennett up at that three spot has started to look really solid. They're starting to get production from Okotoi at five. Those are kind of the positions that they like. Doubles, split one and two, get three and, and find one more. So I think they'll be fine for a top 16. 
Yeah, Flack gets a good three-set win. Arsenal, the three-set win over Stamel. Most impressively, they take the doubles over Vanderbilt. Even through all the struggles, Vandy stayed pretty good at doubles. I also, you know my thoughts on Kentucky. They are extraordinarily frisky, and that was a really hard-fought 4-2 win on the road at Lexington. Good win for Auburn. Again, Tennessee bouncing back with the 4-3 win over LSU. Mertena with the clinch 6-2 in the third over Kylie Collins. Good wins from Kutzer, Tomase, Mertena, uh, and then Anzalota. Again, they drop the doubles point against LSU, who takes both doubles points. LSU right now, the best 2-7 I've ever seen in SEC play. 9-8 uh, and eight overall. They are right smack dab on the bubble. Then Florida got a good 5-2 win over Arkansas at home and outside of one really bad match in conference play, like Florida's good again. I, I This Florida team has it, they're one of the Jay and I had a text over the weekend where I said, who are the hottest teams in the country? And my definition will say was a little loose in the moment. <laughs> As most of your definitions are. Yeah, Florida's not the hottest team in the country, but they are one of the most improved teams of conference play, in my opinion. Like, I think Florida is now. And obviously they have the win over Michigan to help buoy them in the rankings. But even watching this team play, and I talked about it last week, you know, from Galis to Dudney to Briggs to just all the pieces that they have. They're good, and they're going to make you fight three hours outdoors. Yeah, I mean, I would add in Dahlstrom, right, who's had an excellent season. She was absent for that Kentucky match, which is kind of the asterisk in that loss. Uh, They feel like the gatekeepers of the top 16 for me, particular as we think about, you know, playing outdoors, you know, just going to grind you down. Uh, Yeah, I would – I think they will get into top 16, Um, given that there's just so much points to continue to get in the SEC, even just in the conference tournament alone. Yeah, very well said. Well, with that in mind, let's move over now to a non-SEC result. Let's move over to Iowa State's trip to Oklahoma. Iowa State taking on both the Sooners, the Cowgirls this weekend. Uh, Obviously, the Cyclones coming off of the national indoors that see them make the semifinals. They've been a top 10 team, just about the only top eight team in the Big 12 over the past two months. They drop a tough one in Austin, get a really impressive win. I believe the first one in program history, I want to say, over Oklahoma State. I mean, no one beats the Cyclones 50 times in a row. Yes, exactly. Very well said. Um, They get a 4-2 win over Oklahoma State. The shocker, though, we said last weekend that – or last week, excuse me. We were down to 18 teams for the top 16 spots. I think we got to go back to 19 teams, Jay, as Oklahoma – 4-1 winners over Iowa State. I mean, dare I say, this is the best win, Jay, of this Oklahoma season. Well, the rankings would tell you otherwise, right? The rankings would tell you their win over Duke. And and that's where you have to look when you're starting to have this top 16 conversation. You look for who has those big money tickets, right, in those first few points. And this is an Oklahoma team where if they start to pad the 7-8-9 and win – a win over Duke that's, you know, firmly in the top 10 will help buoy them. The same thing with Auburn and Pepperdine, same thing with Vandy if they start making a run in NC State. So, um, you know, I don't know where you want to start with the Iowa State of it all or Oklahoma. Well, let's start with the Oklahoma because where I don't want to say I disagree with you, but, you know, again, looking for this, uh, looking for this team, why do I think this Iowa State win is more significant? It's because the context Duke was not good at the national indoors. Like we were both there. We saw that Duke team. They're nowhere near the team. They are now uh, when they were in February, this Iowa state team has been 
I mean, Iowa State's what, 14 and four overall on the year. And yes, it's their second conference loss. And, you know, again, it's another conference loss on the road. Let's be perfectly clear here. But, you know, Oklahoma goes back to what they've done well all year. They take the doubles point. Yeah. You know, and I think the biggest thing I see is a Garcia Ruiz. gets a big win at that number six spot. Carmen Corley, big win at that number three spot. And then Pisareva delivers with 6-4 in the third. Again, Sleeth has started to play better at one. She's 2-0 up in the third set. Guzman, as we expected, up to the number two single spot. She's 4-5 in the third against OB. Like, the top two did their job. And for the first time in a long time, as we saw last season, the bottom of Oklahoma's lineup separated themselves. Yeah, well, the big thing was starting in doubles, right? And get and because Iowa State has a strong doubles. Uh, I was going to use the forbidden system word, but uh, they have a strong doubles program there, yeah. and they've principles. been looking strong. The strong doubles principles, and they've been playing well all season. And so, for Oklahoma to get yeah. that uh, quickly, and then you talked about Corley and. Uh, Julia Garcia, those were quick points on the board, right? To go up 3-0, put the pressure on, and then ultimately get the piece of Rave clinch 6-4 in the third. This was an impressive win by Oklahoma. Um, it showed that fight that we've been looking to see. It is a really good win. It reminds me of, you know, to use tennis terms, it reminds me of a break a serve. It's sure. like, okay, you broke serve, now can you hold? And the question for Oklahoma, who has shown uh pieces of this throughout the season you know they'll play pepperdine tough maybe you feel buoyed by that match and then they'll turn around and lay an egg against san diego that's kind of how i feel about this win over iowa state great win helps with the ranking but you still got to hold serve and you still have matches coming down the home stretch like a kansas that you know we'll have to see how they perform against those other teams yeah very well said corley over kadlakova oh and one eye popping that is the eye-popping result. Uh, but, you know, again, to flip gears and now to move to the Iowa State side of things, Iowa State did get a 4-2 win over Oklahoma State. You talk about those doubles principles. They do get a win in the doubles point. Naklo gets a big win in straight sets at the number one spot. And then, you know, as they have all uh, year long, they get another point from Kadlakova at three. And this time it was Sipa Pete Kira with the clinch, four and six at number four. You know, it's interesting. This is one of those really tight matches where a bunch of things go straight sets. And it's funny. I feel like we've seen a wave of those over the course of the past week. Still, like you do feel like if you're Iowa State, doubles, split the top two, Kadlikova's three, find one more point. Hasn't that been the recipe? I mean, typically it's been Obi at two, just straight up. But that was a more generous interpretation against the best teams like they did here against Oklahoma State. Yeah, but that's what's been interesting is that that was the recipe that we saw early in the season, right? Doubles two and three and find one more. Um, and even back then at indoors, Kadlikova was at four, right? And yeah, she was just so ripping through everyone. And exactly. Yeah. And, you know, Obi and Kadlikova have not been as solid as they've moved outside. And, you know, Naklo has gotten a lot better. And so I'm starting to see this team is... They have all of these pieces, but they're not clicking yet all at the same time, right? We haven't seen Naklo play her best with Obi and Kadlakova play their best. So we'll have to see if that happens down this home stretch because this is a really dangerous team. We talked about the doubles principles. This is a team that you feel like on any given day can take at least two singles matches from even the best teams in the country. So, you know, they're going to be 
feisty down the line. It's just a question of if they can still sneak into that top eight spot. And a lot of that will be determined in the Big 12 tournament. Oklahoma State, 19th right now in the rankings. How do you feel about their top 16 prospects? Not great. Uh, just because, again, they don't have you know the, the marquee win. Now, the win over Texas will buoy them, assuming Texas continues to rise. But again, I think it's pretty firmly that there's only going to be one Big 12 team in the top eight and max three. And so it's probably going to come down to the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State match. Mm-hmm. It's one you have to have circled on your calendar. You're absolutely right that it's still out there. That is probably determining who's getting that extra top 16 bid in the Big 12. And, you know, you mentioned Texas 4-0 win over Tech, 4-2 win over TCU. They do seem to get better and better with every passing week. But the reason the Big 12 is going to be boxed out is because, once again, third straight year, the ACC is absolutely loaded and what we learned this weekend it's not surprising but now it's official the ACC runs through the state of North Carolina and it's because Miami who had been so frisky to start this ACC season of course got the massive victory over NC State at home they followed up with a really good win over Virginia as well they had to go on the road this weekend they had to make that tobacco road trip and you know again credit to Duke credit to UNC They get the victories. UNC a 5-2 win over Miami. Duke surviving 4-3 on a day where Alexa Noel hands Chloe back that first loss of the season. Let's start with the Duke side of things because we did mention Duke a little bit earlier and obviously this Duke team, as you alluded to, up to number six in today's edition of the ITA rankings. Duke not only getting the 4-3 win over Miami this weekend, they also get a big 6-1 win over Florida State. This Duke team just one loss in conference play. It was their very first match of the conference, 4-3 at Virginia. They followed it up, obviously, very strong since. Now, they still have the big UNC match on the calendar. They've got NC State coming up on Saturday, a match we'll have on our ACC Network broadcast. Very excited about that. I mean, you look at this Duke team. They take the doubles point over Miami pretty definitively. It was one of those days where Cam Mora had it. She gets a straight set win at two. Georgia Drummy healthy. She gets a straight set win at four. And then again, Who's going to step up? Typically, it's Chloe Beck to provide that fourth point. It wasn't on this day. It was sophomore Ellie Coleman who gets a 6-1 in the third win over Mia Mack. And again, if you're this Duke team, I think you just look at where you're finding success right now. And obviously, given Duke's overall record, I mean, they've dominated just about everyone. They're what now? 20-2 and overall. The numbers are going to look gaudy for everyone. That said, the numbers look gaudy for everyone jay i mean back 17 and 1 coleman 15 and 4 jackson 15 and 4 schwetz 15 and 1 mora 12 and 6 at the two spot i think that's better than both of us would have expected like i mean you look for this team overall in in doubles what like back and mora are 15 and 1 they're a combined 17 and 2 at the number 3 double spot now two's been a little bit trickier but like This is the Duke we expected from the start of the season. Yes, this match was at home, but they get a really good win over Miami, Jay. Yeah, I mean, welcome to April, you know, and Duke starts to to flex their muscle. Uh, And this is what you what you would expect. It's great to see Georgia Jeremy back in the lineup and and winning. I hope that she is is healthy, Um, but they seem to start 
to figure out the bottom of the lineup, right? Across Chloe Beck, Cam Mora, Emma Jackson, Georgia Drummy, you feel really good about those four in some order. And the question was going to be, was it, you know, Ellie Coleman or Bryce Golova and Schwetz at five and six, who was going to factor in there? I think it was a great confidence boost for Ellie Coleman to get the clinch over Miami at that number five spot. So they're starting to look really strong. And you mentioned, you know, they're a tough out in doubles just because Cam Moore and Chloe Beck have been so strong at number one that even if they're struggling at number two, they're still able to find answers. So overall, I mean, there's there's not a lot of weak spots right now in this Duke lineup. Yeah. Bryce Golova and Drummies, their three doubles team. Again, they're 17 and two at that three spot. And that's not their best doubles spot. Like it is that number one pairing of Beck and Moore who just continue to rack up wins and Look, I mean, again, it was a tough weekend for Miami, right? Not only did they have to play these matches, they had to play them back to back. And so that is something you do have to keep in mind from a scheduling perspective. That said, you know, Miami played Duke really tight. I mean, they're right there in a bunch of three set matches, right? With Fenning and Jackson, where they do get the win. Tahan gets the three set win over Schwetz again. Matt kind of went away there in the third, but that's a massive credit to Ellie Coleman, I mean, that said, can you imagine being like, all right, 4-3, brutal loss against Duke on Friday. Oh, it's Saturday. What time do we have to play? Oh, it's a 2 p.m. start or whatever it was against UNC. And I mean, look, credit to Miami. They certainly showed up and they pushed the Tar Heels. No doubt about that. They take the number two double spots, but UNC taking that doubles point wins from Brantmeyer and Scotty at Reed. Now, this is where, again, you got to credit Alexa Noel. Straight set wins over both Chloe Beck and Reese Brantmeyer on the road this weekend. But, you know, we've talked about the Miami depth. We've talked about how strong they are at the top of the lineup. Just listen to these scores. Crawley over Achong, 1-0. Yarlagata over Bach Collins, 3-0. Scotty over Mack, 2-1. Tangillig over Fanning, uh, Fenning, 2-3. I mean, again, Jay, are we talking about UNC enough? Because that's just what they do. Like they get if they're up one zero on you, you're not beating them. Yeah, it's going to be tough for any team to find yeah. four singles points against North Carolina. Absolutely, that's not news. Uh, a, a few things that I want to talk about, though. One on the scheduling front. Honestly, more teams should schedule back to back because you know what yeah. you need to do if you want to win the NCAA mm-hmm. championship. You need to win back to back, and you know what you need to do on some years. You need to win three matches in a row. So I'm not sure exactly the. Can I give a counter? What? It's just, it's really easy to do that when it's UNC and Duke because they're nine miles away and you can like stay in a hotel perfectly in between. They're, the reason they don't do that is the traveling logistics. That's just let's like, to be clear, that would be why. Like when, because what South Carolina and Florida are travel partners. Yes, you can do it and get there in under 24 hours. It's a lot harder to do. That would be why it doesn't happen more frequently. But to your point, I completely agree with you. When you have a situation like this, and especially against teams like Duke and UNC, who, to be honest, that could be a quarterfinal, semifinal matchup for any team. Why not schedule it back to back? I think it's a good point, but just to explain to listeners why it might not happen. Yes, uh, that is one reason for sure. But anyways, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. So, I mean, I don't know what the confluence of events was to have these back to back. But look, I think it's a good test. And I think it, you know, Miami probably learned a lot from it. I was bummed that the Miami North Carolina match went indoors. That absolutely changes things significantly for Miami. 
I mean, totally changes the calculus there. And I was even more surprised than that Alexa Noel took out Reese Brantmeyer mm-hmm. in straight sets because, you know, of all of those match calculus, like that one certainly swings in the favor of Reese Brantmeyer. So an incredible performance from Alexa Noel. She's playing like the player she was prior to getting injured last year, which is great to see her back. Um, and then, yeah, North Carolina continuing to dominate in these singles in these singles matches, it was interesting to see Reese Brantmeyer up at the number one spot uh, and Fiona Crawley down at number two. I will say, just putting this out here, that NC State North Carolina match, we better not see Crawley at two. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would like to see Crawley versus Schneider. And yes. I want to talk about NC State in a second. Just final thought on Miami. Top 16, not top eight. I mean, you always sort of hold reservations because if they beat Duke and North Carolina or if they beat Duke and NC State again in the ACC tournament, tournament. you know, I mean, there's so many points there. So they're one of those middle tier teams in between those two. They're like one and a half. Oh, they're absolutely one and a half. Yeah. Yeah. They're not not outside top 16. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with you. I think this team's good. Like, and you're so right. It was a crime from the tennis gods for that rain to come on Saturday because that match. Particularly. And at at North Carolina's new outdoor facility. 100,000%. And, you know, again, the good news is they've got NC State this weekend. And for what it's worth right now, conference standings, North Carolina, 24-0 overall. Lol. 10-0 overall in ACC play. Duke 20 and 2 overall, lol. 9 and 1 in ACC play. NC State 17 and 2 overall, lol. 8 and 1 in ACC play. All those teams a match or two up on 8 and 2 Virginia Miami next at 6 and 3, but again going to be pretty tough for Miami now to overcome this deficit. So it really is down to three teams. North Carolina State uh victories this weekend over Syracuse, Boston College, you had some reservations last week, Sans Schneider. Now, Schneider went down to Charleston, got a nice win over Alicia Parks this week. If you're <laughs> Simon Earnshaw, are you rooting for Schneider to beat Kuder Matova tomorrow? Uh, I think you're rooting for a close match, but probably not a win, right? Because if she wins, she can't play the North Carolina match. But also straight sets because a straight set loss, a good like a four and four hour and a half where it's like, okay, her legs are fine. Like, we don't have to worry about it, right? Like, you're not hoping for 7-6 in the third on clay. No. Yeah, you're right. Maybe a 7-6 in the second. But yeah, like yeah. a 1-6. Like a a one good six showing. Feels, a good yeah, showing. Yeah, that, that feels good. Um, I mean, where are you with NC State? I, like, there's seven in the country right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, they've lost two matches, one of them without Schneider. Like, I think they're rounding into form. I think Abrams playing a little bit better. They're trying to get a ton of reps in. I'm I'm blanking on their freshman at six um, for the Russian. Who, no, Zyranova. Yeah, who, who's gotten a bunch of different reps as well. Yeah. We still haven't seen a fully healthy Nell Miller, but like their doubles is a joke once again, as expected. Um, yeah, like Miller and Rejecki all of a sudden became the second best team uh, on the on the doubles lineup. And it's not illegitimate. And Rejecki and Miller are very, very good. This is the test. Like, we get it. It's time. And I think we get it at the right time, too, because I do think these teams are maybe not at their peak, but they're getting a lot closer to it. 
Yeah, and that's where all the fun here happens in the ACC in April. It's like you have that rogue weekend where Duke and UNC play Virginia, and then all of these other ones. I mean, you know, this coming week, right? How about this eight-day stretch for NC State? They play UNC, they play Duke, they play Texas, and then they play Virginia, all in the span of eight days. It's crazy. So, yeah, they have the test against North Carolina. Look, at the end of the day, if Rancelli and Rejecki play well on the same day, this team is going to be extremely dangerous. Without that, things get a little tricky for them. Uh, and we, ha- I feel like we haven't seen that yet. And I also feel like we haven't really seen them tested against some of these elite teams. And the last time we did see that, they lost. They lost against Miami, and that was with Schneider. So this weekend, I mean, these next those next eight days will tell us a lot about NC State. When, uh, Thursday's North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Saturday's Duke. Yeah, Monday's Texas. Yeah, that is a Simon Earnshaw clap of the hands as always. Well deserved. That is a little scheduling mastery there, reminiscent of that Pepperdine, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State weekend right before the NCAA tournament because Pear was like, "Why not?" Uh, and you know, again, I like seeing those sorts of things. But you mentioned Virginia. Let's go there next because they sort of avoided disaster throughout the course of this past weekend. Now. They got off the court with a much more lopsided scoreline against Clemson than it ultimately ended up. And I believe you look for uh, Clem- – it was ultimately a 4-3 final finish. But, you know, Subash, Ziadato were the first two matches off the court. Or, excuse me, uh, Ziadato, Collard, and Subash were the first three matches off the court. So it was 4-0 at the time of clinch, but it was a tightly contested doubles point. And again, they drop three sets in singles. Similarly, against Georgia Tech, another really tight match. Now, they do take the doubles point. But again, this one, uh, yes, uh, another 4-3 finish, another match that saw, you know, Georgia Tech, I think, win only one first set. But I think they came back to win like three or four second sets. I don't know. Like, where are you with this Virginia team? I'm kind of – they're kind of in that Miami tier to me. They're kind of one and a half-ish. Uh, and look, it's not that Collard's been bad in the absence of Annabelle Shue, but I think even with Annabelle Shue in this lineup, I still would have them tier one and a half-ish because with all due respect, like Adams and Travinsky just haven't been the two and three they've really needed to be for Virginia to be tier one one. Yeah, I mean, this Virginia team has been avoiding disaster all season, right? They've played a lot of 4-3 matches. And the problem right now is that there's a massive gulf in their singles lineup, and it happens at 2, 3, and 4. They're just not getting wins in those positions. And it comes down to needing dubs, Subash, who's now at the one position, and then, you know, Collard at 6 and Ziodato at 5. So if, you know, Annabelle Shue comes back and you slaughter into the 4 spot, we still have these gaps at two and three, right? So it mitigates some of it. Um, so I think, you know, with or without shoe, they're in that one and a half, you know, between eight and 16. I agree. But again, in the ACC with shoe, if they start firing, there's still plenty of points left on the board for this Virginia team to be top eight. But yeah, they, um, they survive in four, three, and they have to use the same recipe over and over. I mean, they're 37 and 12 in doubles. Adams and Collard have been really good at yeah. the number one spot. And then the doubles has been great. Yeah. Whoever they want to play it to Subash and anyone really freaking good. Singles has not been like with like Subash is 11 and three, three and two at the one spot. That just feels a little soft. Like that 11 and three feels a little light. 
you know, Shake has probably been the best player. 11 and 6 overall. Like Ziadato, 11 and 6 overall. No one's been excellent in singles. And maybe that's good news. Maybe if you're Virginia, you can talk yourself into a world where, you know, you can say we still have it peaked and we're 15 and 4 and we still don't have a healthy shoe. But you're right. They have continued to avoid some disasters over the course of the past week, as honestly has Michigan. And, you know, we saw the Wisconsin match. That one got pretty tight. They played two tight ones over the course of the weekend. Yes, they finished with a 4-0 win over Northwestern, but four three-set matches in that one. And Kari Miller was down 5-1 in the third to Shusharina. And, you know, Mesa was down a set and a break. Uh, at that number six spot, you know, it's a second set breaker. Fligner takes it, but she very easily could have lost that set. 4-0 over Northwestern. They get the 4-2 win at Illinois where they drop the doubles point. Really fun breaker goes the way of Illinois at three. Again, yet four three set matches. I'll tell you what, though. Two things about this Michigan team. A, they play with such great energy now. Like, it's just clear the, the, the energy permeates across Michigan tennis now. It's not just the men's. It's not just the women's. What Kari Miller, Jaden Brown have done in particular to get this team, and I don't want to throw Serdan under the bus, but just like you see it. This team believes in one another. They fight for one another. They have that intangible factor. Part two is I swear to God, Jay, I've never seen Gala Mesa lose a match that she needs to win. Like she might quietly be top five clutch, in all of college tennis, like when does she fall short? We saw it against Redelick at Pepperdine. Like I know Michigan lost the match, but she fought her way back. Northwestern yep. down a set and a break. She fights her way back against Ferrari down a set. She fights her way back. Like she is the best player in college tennis. We don't spend enough time talking about. Well, you're certainly the foremost expert on Gala Mesa on this podcast. So Fair. I will defer to you on her being one of the best players that we don't talk enough. I was very impressed with that Pepperdine performance, you know, in, in extending that match. And certainly she has the game style to do it. But look, this Michigan team, uh, you know, it's they, it's vomity. It's the vomit. Zone. It's the, it's the vomit zone. And it's the non if you're any other team, it's now we're not really scared of Michigan. However, I will say similar to Virginia, you, uh, we talked about that recipe of winning five and six in both those matches. Michigan's depth comes through right in both of these matches. They end up winning at four, five and six. Uh, that's what you do against uh, you know, teams that you have you know more talent than and, and you fight down there at the bottom of the lineup. But overall, if they lose dubs, I think things are going to get tricky for them down the home stretch. Yeah, look, the numbers for Michigan are really good. And Jones and Fliegner are 11 and 2. Brown and Miller are 8 and 5. They're top 10 in the country. I think they're 2 in the country right now. Like they have been really good at dubs. You know, Kari is 8 and 3 in dual match play. Serdan's 13 and 2. You know, Jones is 8 and 3. Fliegner's 8 and 2. This team is still really good. Like there's no denying that, but every in they're 15 and three overall. Of course they're really good, but they don't UNC teams. They don't A and M teams. They don't put the smack down on anyone. And like inner bubble conversation, like the inner tier, you see more smackdowns than this Michigan team has put together this season. And again, like. Scholars have argued this team's a year away, right? Because just about everyone in the core but Serdan is back next season. So you can argue you, – you can say this team is still a year away from being that elite tier and not feel horrible as a Michigan fan. That said, they are 15-3, and three, 
And I will say this, Jay, mathematically, they're looking really good for a top eight seed. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be very tough to to yeah. push them out. But there's going to be a lot of teams who want that Michigan team in their draw, given what we've seen from them this past few stretch. But I think yeah. you're right. You yeah, know, go ahead. this team is, is you know, a year away. They're back to building, you know, the the, the pedigree of this Michigan, Michigan team pre-pandemic, right? And that's what you feel buoyed by if you're a Michigan fan, of which one of us on this pod is. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I think overall, this team has a lot of talent. They're still young. Um, and it's it's been an incredible season so far. Quick correction, Westoff, Louisville fan. Louisville fan from mm, Westoff. Okay. That's what you're yeah. missing there. Yeah, it's fair. Um, all right. Well, again, Michigan is still 15-3 and three overall. It's good of a, as a team as I've seen during my time following things in Ann Arbor, and allegedly I have a vested interest. Uh, really, in I, I don't know the Bechtus Boland years. You know, Fahey Minor. I don't think they were fifteen and three. They definitely weren't three in the country. Yeah, like I, I'm, that's what I'm saying. There are a lot of accolades racked yeah, up but, in it. You beat uh, Ohio State in conference play. You go undefeated. You run the table. You get to the final site. Here's what I'll say. You know how we do the bit not eliminated from the greatest of all time discussion? This mm-hmm. Michigan team has yet to be eliminated from the greatest of all time Michigan teams discussion of this Ronnie Bernstein era. Fair? Very fair. All right. Then that's where we'll leave Michigan, Virginia, both surviving tough weekends. Let's go out west for our final deep dive into anything that happened this weekend. And again, trying to be efficient here, I know, but – it's the home it's tough. There's, There's so many results of stuff. Yeah. For us to discuss, let's talk about the West coast. Let's start with undefeated Washington in conference play. I mean, very, very quietly now, Jay, this Washington team is holding on to that number 16 spot uh, in the current ITA team rankings and Washington 14 and three overall. There are two losses, Texas, Duke at the national indoors. But anyone who was at that match, it's no, they were much closer than the 4041 score lines that were the final scores. I mean, their other loss on the year was early in the season against Wisconsin. Of course, Wisconsin started out the year so hot. So I don't hold that one against them. But look, they're undefeated since the national indoors undefeated in conference play already have three really good wins over US, UCLA, USC, Arizona State. They're all aging well. Oregon, by the way, has been sneaky good in Pac-12 play. I was looking it up. I think Oregon only two losses right now in the Pac-12. Now they've got some big hitters still ahead. So take yeah, it with a great result. But but you know again, that's a good 4-0 win over this wash uh over this Oregon team for Washington. And look, they've still got at Stanford on the schedule for what it's worth with the hot and cold we get from Cal. You never quite know they've got at Cal. It's worth mentioning as well, but like looking at this Washington team now, Jay, you know, Astrid Olson, who was injured all of last season, we were wondering how was the transfer from Pepperdine going to contribute? She's now 13 and three in singles this year. The transfer from the Ivy league, Jennifer Kerr, 14 and one in single play this year. Saker, 10 and four at the five spot. Matsuda's 10 and three at six. Of course, they have Sato 10 and six at the one spot. Now, the one place they've struggled, Sarah uh, Mautfoten, who is seven and nine at two. She was the best player in their lineup last year. And like for her to struggle, I think is low hanging fruit. If you're coach Robin Stevenson, because you're like, we know how to get Sarah clicking on all cylinders. We've seen it before. If Auburn played Washington right now at a neutral site and you asked me for a pick, my pick would be 4-3. And by that, I it's to say 
throw Washington like they belong in the top 16 conversation that USC win is aging better each and every day. They beat Stanford. There's no doubt they're top 16 good. Well, certainly if they beat Stanford, they haven't done that yet. But so in Uh, your mind, do they need to do that? Well, I think it's just tough in the Pac-12. We talked about this early in the season. A lot of these teams, I mean, you're talking about a season that won't have UCLA, USC, or Cal in the top 16, right? And even a Stanford is fighting for their life in a well, top can 16 position. Can you say position. that again? No Cal, no USC. That's got to be the first time, right? That none of uh, them finished top 16? Uh, last season? No Cal finished top 16. Did they? Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, UCLA I- and USC didn't. Yeah, that's so. I last season wasn't yeah. a bad. It was still so bad you know, last what, season. What about? I was gonna say the COVID year, twenty twenty one, but UCLA was very good that year. That was yeah. the Bolton Hart. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that was the quarterfinal team. Yeah, yeah. and so oh four three Pepperdine. God, what yeah. a good match that yeah, was. That was oh, Jada Hart, you had the forehand volley. Anyways, yeah. I sorry, I stopped your roll. Carry on. No, so I mean. It, They've been great. They've won all the matches you would hope that they would win if they're going to be a top 16 seed. Uh, It's just tough in the Pac-12. So I think that Stanford match will really determine it. They can't afford to take more losses because these other teams that they're competing with in that 16 spot just have more meat on the bone in the rest of the schedule uh, for those that aren't in the Pac-12. But, I mean, this has been a really impressive performance this Washington that really started with indoors, right? Uh, playing that tournament on their home courts, using that momentum, playing some tough four, three matches there. Uh, they've looked really good, but there's been a little bit of a chasm in their schedule. We'll wait to see how they end up uh, when they do the Bay area trip in mid April. That's one we will all be watching for. Well, speaking of the Bay area, Stanford seven, a win over Arizona four, three finish against Arizona state. Now again, Stanford wins that match 4-0 for what it's worth. Arizona State does get wins at the 4-5 and 6 singles positions after play is clinched. Worth noting, Ma back up at the one spot. She got a 2-2 two and two win. Blake 1-2 and two at 2. Yepa Fanova 2-0 and oh at 3. I don't hate that final order. And it is worth noting Sarah Choi had to retire at the number 6 spot. Up a set, down 3-0 in the second. You hope that's not a long-term injury because Stanford needs Choi at 6. But this is the Stanford we expect. Like, again, Stanford started to do what we expected them to do, which since getting that win over Texas, they've run the Pac-12 table. Yeah, I would say Stanford's top three has done what we've expected them to do. I mean, all three of those look elite. Uh, Alexis Blockina there at four, the freshman, I think has has struggled. Uh, Valencia Shu has struggled. Uh, Sarah Choi, thankfully, I don't think that injury is going to be something that keeps her out very long. Um, so that's good news for the Cardinal because they definitely need her there at six. So look, doubles four and five are where this team has question marks. You need Alexis Blockina to be playing at that elite level that she was playing at coming into the season because, I mean, that top three right now, I mean, them, Pepperdine, North Carolina, those are their best top three in the country. And so if they have some of the other pieces, I mean, they're way better than, you know, uh, wherever they are, 13 in the rankings right now. No, if they're not, a t- again, them not being a top eight seed screams like 2015 Stanford or like 2016 Stanford. Yeah, and I mean, you can pretty much take it to the bank. They won't be. Yeah. No, there's just not going to be enough points available for what it's worth. USC, UCLA did their job. They get sweeps over Utah, Colorado this weekend. But by the way, 
we hit the over hour mark. I see that in the comments now. I'm catching up on things. So shout out to you, Archit, and everyone else who predicted over. Scotty B is wondering about Cal. Are they going to make the NCAA tournament? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how they had been flirting with that 500 rule. Well, they'll continue to flirt with it. And again, they get the weekend I suppose they need. 7-0 win over Arizona. 6-1 win over Arizona State. Maybe that's even more impressive. They, though, are edged in their final match of the weekend by LMU. And again, it's a very tight match. It comes down to the number five spot. Hannah Villermuller, 7-5 in the third. She drops it. And in fact, you know, again, Cal drops three of the four matches that go three sets here uh, against LMU, dropping Giovara at one, Villermuller at five, Richardson at six. I mean, again, El Sola quietly just continuing a really solid sophomore campaign. It seems like Weirsholm's getting healthier and healthier. Yeah. But again, this Cal team right now, Jay, it's April 4th. They're seven and seven overall. Let me say that again, folks. Seven and seven overall. They're currently sitting right on the brink of NCAA cutoff. They're 37th overall. They still, again, on the schedule, have some big ones. You look for this Cal team. They're still going to travel to Stanford. They've got that match on April 21st. They've got Pepperdine coming up this Friday. Must win matches against Oregon. Maybe against Washington as well. Jay, that is a brutal five-match stretch. Seven and seven overall. The Washington match is at home, just so listeners know. Does Cal get in? Well, I mean, they have to win one of Stanford, uh, Stanford, Pepperdine, or Washington to be five to be over five hundred. No, because they could go two and one in the Pac twelve tournament, right? Like they could get a win over like a. An well, yeah, I always I'm, I stop it at the at the t- conference yeah. room, like, and then you, that's a whole new calculus you have to but, do. But 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 you're also right, like like they need to win one of those matches. Well, and also if they don't, then it's just more. I mean, because they're also like. It's not no, like losing to North Carolina. They can't take the yeah. lost points, right? They need the points. 100%. So, yeah, they, I mean, I almost, they're almost probably calling Coach, you know, Pear at Pepperdine being like, let's not make this one up. <laughs> or um, they're like, hey, like, is there a world where some Chiwat, Brodus, and Redelic just aren't feeling well? And we'll go up against Chen, Czar, and the Campanas, and we'll just like, we'll give it a go. And yeah. like, just spot us too. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Uh, it, I, I thought maybe after that Arizona State win where I was like, okay, things seem to be clicking. They dominated Arizona State. I was like, okay, this feels good. This is a dangerous Cal team. And then they turn around and they lose to an LMU team who's not at last year's LMU level. Things be really tough for this Cal team down the home stretch. Yeah, no, they fumbled it because they did take the doubles point. And again, Giovara took a first set. El Sola took a first set. Weirsholm took a first set. Again, they get the second sets they need from Ivana, yeah. Viller, Moeller, and Richardson. They're in at home each too. And every one of these matches. Again, it's the most fascinating season. It really is the most fascinating season, in my opinion, here in 2023. Cal, 2-1, and 7-7 seven and seven overall now, April 4th. I just... Oh, you got to love college tennis. This is when when it's fun. It's really fun. And again, there are a lot of other fun matches from the weekend we can get to. I'm going to throw those on your screen now. I'm going to read through them. Just NCAA implications. Jay, I'll do this quickly. You can tell me uh, of this list what you find most fascinating. I mentioned the Texas sweep. 
over Tech and TCU. Baylor currently sitting right at 42 in the rankings. They get a huge win, 4-2 over TCU. Texas Tech changing of the coach this offseason looks like they're going to get into the NCAA tournament currently sitting at 31 they get a much needed 4-3 win over Baylor for Big Ten purposes Wisconsin's getting into the tournament Nebraska Iowa uh, excuse me Purdue and Iowa on the bubble Purdue gets a big win over Nebraska but drops one to Iowa Iowa would be looking good for the NCAA tournament but then they drop a 4-2 match to Indiana as such Iowa again currently sitting outside of the top 50 right now they're at number 58 so that was just a tough loss Virginia Tech tough weekend four threes against Georgia Tech and Clemson both those schools looking like they're going to get in and again it was a tumultuous offseason for Clemson so they have really rallied well this year uh, again, I, the Georgia okay. Tech one was the one I had circled that four three okay, win over so Virginia. Stop me Tech. now. Go for it. Give it to me. Well, one, I didn't expect it to be this close four three, and I mean this was within Virginia Tech's grasp. It came down to Kylie Bilchev of Georgia Tech, you know, a, a player you've mentioned several times on this pod, uh, and she was down five zero in that third set tiebreak, um, and she comes back and wins it seven five seven straight points to to take that match for the team. That was the one that was. really uh, close for Georgia Tech to be a really uh, bad loss and a really great win for Virginia Tech, but couldn't get it done. Yeah, Clemson, same thing. Again, I really like this Clemson team. Medvedeva has been lights out at the number three spot for this team, the transfer from Oklahoma State. And I'm just saying, keep an eye on Clemson tennis. Yes, my guy, Austin Rapp, just sent me maybe my favorite gear I have because you just don't find a lot of Clemson orange. Let me just say, as a Jewish man from Michigan, Clemson orange is not a big part of my lifestyle growing up. And so it's fun to be able to add it to the mix, but I've really liked this Clemson team. I really liked what I saw from wake and let's be clear. Syracuse. I'm blanking who plays one for them. She's been really banged up this year. They put her in the lineup. It was a placeholder. Wake gets an 0-1-0 win there, but you know, Anna Bryland's been really good for wake Forest. she's like 14 and three, something crazy like that throughout the course of this season. Killingsworth well, been rock solid. That's a top well, 30 team in wake. That's a yeah, really and when, good win that they needed after a, a bunch of tough losses. Well, I was going to say, and those tough losses came with Bryland and Killingsworth out yeah. for many of those losses, which really hindered this wake team. Yeah. And again, after losing to Boston College 5-2 on Friday, they had to beat Syracuse, and they did. And it's just riding the ship uh, for Wake Forest. Alabama, 4-1 win over Kentucky. That's a huge NCAA tournament match because Kentucky right now 49, Alabama 50. Again, both needed it. Alabama got it. Vandy, their first straightforward win since probably January, 4-0 over Alabama. The only thing that slowed it down was a rain delay at the end before the clinch came in straight sets. But like, holy crap, did they need it? And then just some other NCAA ones. San Diego State, not San Diego. That's a typo by me. 7-0 over BYU. But then Rice, FIU, USF, all beating up on each other. Feels like there's probably space maybe for one of those teams to get into the NCAA tournament. So it is worth noting all of those results. That was a rapid fire, Jay. I apologize. Any additions you'd like to make to my editorializing? No, nicely done. I appreciate that. Well, then let's move on to our rankings because, again, things are pretty steady from a results perspective. And it's always fascinating to see what's the movement look like. And certainly with AM beating Georgia, Duke beating Miami, you feel like those two teams, I mean, AM not going to go higher than number two because North Carolina firmly ensconced that one. But it's not a shock again. North Carolina won. 
A&M two, Pepperdine now at that three spot. And again, I think that's just the respect everyone has for Chen, Czar, Brodus. They can find one more. Uh, Georgia holding, uh, excuse me, Duke after the win over Miami up to the number four spot. Again, they haven't lost since that loss to Virginia to start ACC play back in, I want to say, either the end of February or start of March. Georgia five, NC State six now, Michigan seven. And I think this is purely on vibes. Stanford eight, Texas nine, Iowa State 10. I'm pretty sure that's my exact eight, nine, 10, Jay. In fact, I'm pretty sure this is my exact set of rankings. What do yours look like? So this is not yours because I saw yours and okay. yours is different. What do I and switch? Have... Duke and Georgia? Yes. That's the only switch I have. Though, no, right? no. Uh, Georgia and NC State. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. I yeah. have NC State above Georgia. You do. Yeah, that's purely on vibes. But again, <laughs> this, was, this was the first week where I didn't look at my last uh, at my last week's mm. rankings. And I just wanted to go purely off of right now. Throw out preconceived notions. If you're making a top 10, who are your best 10? And that to me is why Stanford and Texas had to be elevated because with how they're playing and who they've beaten, it was literally like, well, Stanford beat Texas and Texas beat Iowa State. So there's my 8, 9, 10. It just kind of fits. Yeah, so uh, my only gripes with this, my, it looks almost identical except for that 4, 5, and 6. Uh, I have the exact same 7, 8, 9. Uh, I gave some love to Ohio State there. Uh, the Iowa State loss to Oklahoma put them out of the top 10 for me. I want to read you two resumes quickly. You tell me which resume you like better. Okay, don't think about who these teams are. This okay. team has beaten number 10, Iowa State, number 12, Auburn, number 13, Stanford, number 15, Tennessee, number 18, Oklahoma. This other team has beaten number 13, Stanford, number 14, Miami, number 16, Washington, number 20, Wisconsin. Which team do you like better there? What's this? Read the read them one more time for me, please. Okay. Leave, yeah. Number 10, Iowa State. Okay. Number 12, Auburn. Okay. Number 13, Stanford. Okay. Number 15, Tennessee. Number 18, Oklahoma. I'm reading their each top, uh, top That's 20 That's who wins. they've all beaten. That's who they've all beaten. Okay. This next team is beaten number 13, Stanford, number 14, Miami, number 16, Washington, and number 20, Wisconsin. It's a good question to ask. I'm trying to think who. That's what you're not supposed to do. Just I know. That's the problem. Base probably this off the, the first, resume. Probably the first team. I think it's pretty clear it's the first team, right? Yeah. They have four top 15 wins over the other one that has two, you know, seven top 25 the wins. The first one's Georgia, right? The first one is Georgia. So yeah, tell me so why you have Duke at four. That's like, that's why I was like, tell me why you have Duke at four. Because it's, I, like I said, it's purely off of vibes. I, I like, I, that was why I wanted to acknowledge it right now, because let's go to the computer rankings. And again, our Cracked Rackets rankings, UNC one, AM two, Pepperdine three, Duke four, Georgia 5, NC State 6, Michigan 7, Stanford 8, Texas 9, Iowa State 10. You look at the computer rankings right now. Again, they look a little bit different. UNC, A&M still 1 and 2, Michigan 3, Pepperdine 4, Georgia 5, Duke 6, NC State 7. So same order of schools or same schools, just different order. Ohio State 8, Virginia 9, Iowa State 10. Again, it's purely off of vibes. It's who has the momentum, who's playing better right now. I think Duke has the better doubles point. I think Beck versus Ma is a toss-up. I think Vidmanova probably 
beats Cam Mora, but again, I think everything after that can uh, can Jackson beat whomever's at three on any given day. Riasco, absolutely. Uh, you know, again, four, five, and six. I think all toss ups across the board. I might even lean with Coleman and Drummy. Duke taking two of those three spots. Uh, it's a little bit on vibes. Like it's not just resume for me at this point. And uh, you're right. Like Georgia has the better resume. But I think Duke's the better team. I'd pick him on a neutral site. That that's what it came down to. Fair. I think that's fair. Would you neutral site? Who would you pick right now? Duke versus Georgia. Outdoors. I have not seen enough from Duke. I would go Georgia. Okay. You know what? We've watched a lot of Duke. We've watched a lot of both of these teams. That's also what it comes down to. Is I've been fortunate enough since we're on the broadcast to watch so many of these teams. And it's an eye test thing. Like the power of Jackson. Schwartz and Coleman, just how efficient they are in going about their work in the bottom of the lineup. And then, you know, again, yes, Chloe Beck lost to Alexa Noel, but like you feel really good with Chloe back at the top of your lineup. I just this, think this team has so many pathways to four now, even more so than Georgia does. So it's a little bit on vibes, but I understand your qualm from a numbers yeah, perspective. Yeah, I was surprised to see them at four this week. I okay. was very surprised. To me, I thought the inflection point was at number five. Didn't I have them as my semifinalist last year? Uh, in our preseason predictions, excuse me. Uh, probably. I mean, they they made the semifinals each year. It feels like at this point. Yeah, I think I had them as a semifinal prediction. So now mm-hmm. I'm just starting to make try and justify everything. Trying I to said. manifest it. I yeah, see. exactly. In November and uh, and December. But look again, we'll know after this weekend, as it's going to be a busy weekend for the Blue Devils. As we look at the week ahead, we alluded to this earlier, but no doubt your match of the week, Duke. UNC hosting NC State Thursday and Saturday. Now you've got Texas at NC State on Monday as well. So what a week it's going to be here for the Wolfpack. You said you had some things to say about that one, Jay. So those are your unequivocal top of tier one matches. Now, again, there are some other matches I want to allude to quickly, but your thoughts on those matches, what are you expecting to see? Well, I couldn't help myself. I already snuck in what I wanted to say, and that was that <laughs> <laughs> that I hope we see Fiona Crawley versus Diana Schneider at the number one spot. I really hope Crawley is not at two. Okay. This is what we have been waiting to see as fans. Diana Schneider, top 100 in the WTA rankings. Fiona Crawley, you know, undefeated fall seasons, only lost one dual match season, and that was while she was unwell. So I, I really hope we see that. It'd be a shame if we don't. Yeah, I mean, again, from a pure tennis perspective, the power of Brantmeyer versus the power of Schneider might actually be a better matchup. And then Smith versus Crawley, the physicality there. Like, I just think we get two better matches. Uh, although the contrast, if you put Brantmeyer against the Smith, and it's, it's really good tennis no matter what, okay? Don't look at me like that, Jay. I think I, I'm enticed either way. What's NC State's record? Oh, this. Oh, well, yeah. how far are we extending this through that three match? Yeah, all three. Uh, two and one. Who do they beat? Uh, who do they lose to? North Carolina. Do you think they'll have Schneider on Thursday? Yeah, I think she loses to Kudermatova. Okay, that's going to be so fascinating. But I will say Schneider has has really struggled this year in coming back from these pro events, right? We saw her loss after coming Clay back from Indy Wells and Clay, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's it's going to be tough. NC State's going to take the doubles point. UNC can still take four singles like matches. And then again, Duke, NC State, it's an NCAA quarterfinal rematch. It's going to be really fun. Uh, Again, 
you clear the schedule for that. Texas, NC State too, by the way, that's fascinating. And if Texas or the Big 12 is going to get a top eight seed, Texas has to win that match yep. at NC State. So we're very excited to be broadcasting it here at Cracked Rackets on Monday for all of you fans. All right, we'll rapid fire through the rest. Just give me your records for these teams. Florida at Georgia and Tennessee this weekend. What's Florida's record? I think one and one. Ooh, who they beat? Tennessee. Okay. Oklahoma State at Oklahoma. We alluded to it earlier. Top 16 berth essentially on the line. It's an elimination match. Win or go home. Who you got? Look, it's at Oklahoma, so I'm going to lean Oklahoma, but I there's a nervousness in that pick just because I have not seen Oklahoma hold serve all year long, and I think Oklahoma State will be Johnson to get the win, but I, I'll lean Oklahoma. Very well said. Tier two rapid fire. South Carolina at Georgia, Tennessee. What's South Carolina's record? Oh, and two. Auburn at Arkansas. One and oh. Cal at Pepperdine in Oregon. One and one. US Arizona State hosting USC and UCLA. Oof. One and one, but it could be oh and two this Arizona State team. It's been a tough last few matches for them. Mm-hmm. San Diego at Stanford. Uh, I think Stanford wins this match. Nice little Easter Sunday duel for you. Notre Dame at Miami. Miami wins. Georgia Tech at Clemson. (laughs) 4-3. Yeah. Kentucky at Vanderbilt. That's my last one. Ooh, Kentucky with the win, 4-3. It's going to be a battle. And like Vanderbilt, uh, Kentucky's just the perfect team to play Vanderbilt. That's the issue. And yeah, again. It's going to be a really fun weekend of college tennis, folks. So be sure to tune into everything that happens, of course, here at Cracked Rackets. Again, we've got matches Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday for you as we get to break down all of the best action. You can find our SEC coverage on ESPN SEC Network Plus, our ACC coverage on ESPN and ACC Network Plus, Big Ten cross-court cast. And there are a lot of big, big Ten matches. Michigan at Purdue, Iowa at Ohio State, Illinois at Maryland, Nebraska at Penn State, all of those Sunday on our Crack Rackets cross-court cast. Again, we've got a Baylor match, a Harvard match this weekend. Just lots of good tennis for all of you fans to enjoy. And, of course, the reason we're able to do this show here, enjoy it day in, day out, week in, week out, is because of the support we get from all of you, of course, because of the support we get from our Turna, our friends at Turna. Check out the Turna Tough Grip. Uh, of course, shout out to our friends at LS as well. To learn more about them, just click on the link in the description to this podcast a shout out of course as well to my dear friend super producer daniel westoff who makes these shows and everything we do here at crack rackets possible with all that said jay no ad no problem what you got on tap this week any final thoughts before we wrap today's show well we are going to be previewing the nc state duke match the nc state unc is a tad too early in the week for us so we'll be doing nc state duke big implications on who ends up being the number two seed in the acc and on the men how can you do anything other than michigan ohio state part two so looking forward to previewing that that'll be out on thursday i keep waiting are you going to start interviewing coaches well, you know, everyone's been asking me that, Gruskin, and <laughs> yeah, everyone wants to get on the pod. Uh, we'll see. You know, I, have, I might have some lined up. Yeah, that's interesting to hear. Mm-hmm. Again, I uh, I look forward to it. I still owe you part two of our conversation, right? So, uh, or like part seven. And so, yeah, looking forward to doing that. Always looking forward to listening to your shows. No ad, no problem. Blog and podcast. You can follow him at JTweetsTennis. With all of that said, for 
our fantastic co-host, John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at LS and Turnon from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.